dominated by female voices and i have my supporting cast of men here um helping me out and making sure that i look really good in the action sequences <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do you have something uh, to I, say <laughs> uh no i'm leaving space for uh marginalized white female voices uh <laughs> so i will abstain from commenting during the duration of this episode besides for being uh laura's hype man yeah um i'm abdul at socialist raptor um you're listening to Kino Lefter. This is a POC-led podcast with POC voices, and my two co-hosts are here to uplift and support marginalized identity. This is the uh, the uh, oppressed identity showdown. This is actually just just us recording three separate podcasts with our own agenda Evan. and like just passive aggressively ignoring each other. Evans yeah. gets into dicey territory. Oh <laughs> yeah. Podcast. unfortunately you know, we're not listening to the white working class i'm always going to say that in quotation marks and winking at the screen uh every time but uh no i i think it'd be, it'd be funny if we released an episode you know um there's this guy in the intellectual dark web who got in trouble because he disagreed with a university's uh day without white people or whatever so i think we should do a podcast without white men where i speak but my tracks are just edited out so it sounds as if we accidentally uploaded like an episode uh without me but it's like no it's "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm." yes that was the first uh, you're forgetting that was like the first six episodes of our show Um, yeah i was there in spirit (laughs) and physically but not Um, on the file yeah for evan like we you know he's fanning himself on the porch in a southern plantation because we're in the middle of a heat wave and we're bringing (laughs) him sweet tea (laughs) um as he like rocks on his chair and says you know we're one of the good ones Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not yeah, doing no, it's, this. I'm okay. It's, it's I'm an very, ally. I really like a, your linen yeah. suit. It looks good. Thank you. Yeah, I got a big white hat. Uh, sunning myself. Uh, my my wife. An elephant gun. Uh, my my wife. Uh, uh, and daughters actually found this Confederate soldier who was wounded outside, and he is resting. Uh, in a locked room, and my daughters are having a tension-filled, sensual Whoa. relationship with him. That's so weird. I yeah. just watched The Beguiled like two Whoa. days ago. Whoa! <laughs> and I was gonna use do it as my recomradation. Well, spoiler okay. alert for that, Sophia Coppola. <laughs> what's up? Every time, every time I hear cannon fire, you know, over the hill, I go to Evan and ask, you know. Evan, are we in trouble? And I never <laughs> refer to myself in the eye. Um, are we sick? <laughs> yeah, are we sick? Yeah, when 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 you when you take ill when you take ill with cholera, you know, and, and you know, I tend to you in the bathtub. You know, are we sick? Um, 
yeah you, you uh, see abdul that's that's the that's the guest mentality you don't have the host mentality you need a break out of that uh listen to our episode on malcolm x <laughs> a, a great man uh you know stolen from us but uh yeah, completely uh, destroying any like semblance of allyship or credibility we have to talk about race with this intro uh, sorry much everybody. like much like uh the director of the movie we are currently doing gina price bythewood bithwood bite he would um has, bite? Uh, he would yeah <laughs> uh then then we'd be talking about teeth um but yeah like uh wow. Great no the movie, yeah, the movie teeth. No, yeah okay it. cool yeah okay um, <laughs> um yeah uh we're doing the old guard <laughs> an odd netflix film that you know, it feels like every Netflix Netflix film that's coming out is breaking uh, records on Netflix. I'm not sure if that's just because, like, quarantine is getting to everyone or because, like, Netflix is, like, slowly making the algorithm better to, like, capture the widest audience, like, on a minute-by-minute basis. Like, it'll eventually become self-aware, I'm 100% sure. But also, like isn't doesn't netflix like not release their any of their actual data so people don't actually know their algorithms so maybe they're just saying that as like a hype thing being like everyone's horny for 365 days nobody can get enough of the action and the old guard everybody loves el camino which was actually pretty good yeah uh they release their data when it's like a good marketing point for them like they don't they don't release what the algorithm is but they've talked about like what kind of data they collect and like whenever they have a movie that does good numbers they tend to make that publicly available one of the Um, fascinating things about netflix to me is how like everyone's netflix homepage basically looks different because they change like the thumbnail of each movie depending on your tastes and what you've watched in the past so like you know the old guard to some people it'll look like a rom-com and then they're like i want to watch it because it's a it's a sensual queer romance uh (laughs) but for me it's like you're you're a man and you like formula one so it's charlie's theron behind the seat uh of a minardi uh you know 90s formula one car as she's uh running over a bunch of goons i thought that was the movie i was getting but unfortunately netflix uh you know betrayed my trust again this week not not very impressed but it it is fucked up just like how ever present your data is everywhere else (laughs) than your own ownership um yeah shoshana zuboff uh, surveillance capitalism what's up my uh my thumbnail was just a full body shot of Charlize theron which uh (laughs) i'm not gonna lie uh, this is the hottest uh, she's ever been in a movie. Ooh, uh, big disagree there. Atomic Blonde. I, I'm she... a I'm a sucker. I'm a sucker for the pixie cut. I know um, you are, but like, yeah. the thing is, is that the dye job on that, and I was complaining about this to Evan. I was like, why can't Netflix spring for good hair and makeup people? They always look like shit. Yeah. And the dye job on that flat brown color uh, was so mousy. It was terrible. No, I uh, I was I was extremely horny for Charlie Theron the whole like, time. It every- was the only thing that kept me watching look, the movie, to be honest. Look, am I denying that we are all horny for Charlize Theron? No, no, of course not. But I'm just saying she's looked way better. I'm thinking about yeah, Atomic Blonde when she was making out with the new mummy, uh, Sophia Boutella or whatever. Um, even Furiosa. Exactly. I, I mean, was just like say, Mad Max. You know, all shaved. You know, you can hold her like an egg. <laughs> so that's <laughs> like a that's... precious egg in the mouth of a golden retriever. <laughs> exactly. That's what Charlize. You can always 
my DMs are not open, but if you start following, okay. But no, uh, my DMs, my DMs are. Uh, I do follow you on Twitter. Please follow me back so I can pod. DM you directly. We're um, and now for the rest of the episode. Right. We're going to do an Afrikaans <laughs> voice to alienate her to okay. not do it. Okay, what happened in this movie? Someone explain it to I, me. I can quickly uh, explain yeah. the plot of the old guard. Andromache the Scythian is an immortal <laughs> who was born six thousand years ago. She uh, meets some other immortals through dreaming about them and their location. She eventually forms an unknown, an an, an unnamed mercenary team, which we have to assume is called the Old Guard. Um, they uh, do a job thinking they're about to free like 20 kids from a Boko Haram style terrorist group in South Sudan. They're set up by one of their old contacts who used to work at the CIA. He, their old contact, is working for this pharmaceutical giant who wants to steal the secrets of immortality to sell, to make money because Big Pharma is evil. Um, Then they all have a dream about a beautiful, strong, magical black woman (laughs) in Afghanistan who was recently murdered while on patrol protecting Afghan women um, from evil Afghan men, (laughs) we're led to assume. Um, So then uh, they kidnap this Marine um, who joins their team of immortals uh one of the immortals betrays the other ones they fight in like a boring office building <laughs> one of the immortals gets exiled and then they they force Chiwetel Ejiofor their old contact to work for them it, it kind of a Nick Fury type situation for the immortals yeah it's like you find all of the jobs for us because we are ethical mercenaries much like our friends at academy <laughs> led by yeah. uh, uh Eric Prince so then uh, he's like, I would be honored to do this for you, ma'am. I would be honored to wash your feet, uh, you know, whenever you come back from a mission. Uh, and then we learn that Andromache the Scythian's old friend, in air quotes. Friend slash lover, yeah. Yeah, intense uh, heterosexual eye contact. Um, th- uh, she was, like, trapped in, a in like, a sarcophagus at the bottom of the ocean, like, 500 years ago. And then she shows up. And she's like, oh, she's crazy now. She's like a crazy ex who's going <laughs> to team up with uh, one of the old guard who betrayed the other ones. And then it's like, and now you have to wait for the sequel, which will be rushed into production very quickly because everyone loves the old guard. Do we keep listening to find out? Yeah, I, I'm i curious to see. It would be a weird kind of irony if uh, the set of the old guard uh, was marked by COVID and uh, people died. Um, oh, my God. Well, I mean, like, they're supposed to be immortal. Uh, but, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, it's, I, I don't it's know a if movie. I'm going <laughs> to no. shock you here, no, but it I, is a movie. I have, no, I have no, like, barrier. What I see is what I accept to be my reality. Like, I'm... I'm still worried about the monsters from Pacific Rim destroying San Francisco again. Um, These motherfuckers in the theater, like, uh, when they first played the train coming through, like, jumping out of the way and shit. Mr. Bean must be arrested for his tomfoolery. How dare he that stick that turkey great, on his head? That would be a great Jim Carrey, like, you know, Netflix um, romantic comedy where, I don't know, uh, Zoe, what's her name? The director? Uh, Zoe Deschanel, yeah. yeah. Zoe Deschanel oh. meets Jim Carrey, who's like some weird shut-in who thinks that every movie is a documentary, so he's scared of going outside. Um, eternal sunshine yeah. of the spotless iPad. It, yeah, <laughs> eternal sunshine of the cinephile mind, which is you know what this podcast will be at some point. 
Yeah, uh, we can talk about the aesthetics of the old guard to start. They're bad, folks. Um, it's really boring. It looks yeah. boring. It's acted boring. Like, you know, you think of a, a film about immortality like Highlander, which is like, you know, the quintessential 80s film. It's got a synth soundtrack. It's got like, you know, over the top special effects. Mm -hmm. It's like bombastic and like, you know, people yell at each other and hit hit each other with swords. So, you know, they there can be only one. Um, and then you've got this uh, where, you know, it's just a, a by the numbers action movie and occasionally they have really stilted dialogue mm -hmm. and like flashbacks that look like they were shot they look worse than uh than a red fair mm -hmm. like um, the costume design was awful so we had uh evan and i were watching it um yesterday together because i don't have internet at my uh new apartment and um we're, and we're all in a relationship <laughs> yeah based on twitter yeah so yeah no i'm i'm the third wheel uh outside <laughs> of this uh, paradigm um yeah so we were watching it together and uh we had a lot of content to get through so uh we fast forwarded through a lot of it and it was a movie made for being fast forwarded because anytime that we stopped somewhere the beautiful black marine would be like wait where are we going who is this <laughs> what is this yeah. what country are we in in case yeah in case uh, you just looked up from your phone i missed exactly i missed absolutely nothing only watching maybe like two thirds of it as as you were like explaining to me what because half of it is just them being like what are we gonna do in like a safe house yeah so boring like uh so i was thinking about a movie that i very much unironically love uh sorry everybody i'm losing all my leftist credentials here captain america the winter soldier um where like the muted tones and everything are a stylistic choice because like it's a sequel to a movie that's like very bombastic like the first avenger because it's like this like world war ii throwback and then it's like oh it's deliberate we're in this like espionage world where there are shades of gray and everything but this is just like a boring color palette yeah. right like there's no there's no like stylistic reason for it to be shot like this and then they're all just like they're not even wearing like cool gear or no. something like i there's so much like there's a really appealing nature no of like tactical pockets. There's maybe there are some tactical pockets, but it, it looks like they're just wearing like, you know, Nordstrom rack <laughs> or like uh Mark's work warehouse, like tactical gear. Um, but then like, yeah, one of them has a sword. One of them has an ax, but it's like, if you're like from like the crusades or whatever, why don't they have like cool pieces of armor or something mm -hmm. or like, you know, something's modern, but like looks like chainmail or something, and it's like that could be cool, right? Because they're like all from all these like very divergent cultures, right? And then it's like that's that's an interesting thing, and you get that in a superhero movie, right? Because like the Avengers, it, they don't make sense if they're like a team. It's like one's a big Hulk guy, uh, Thor, Iron Man, Captain America. They're very different stylistically, but when they're together, it's like oh, there's something fun here. But these guys are all just the same, yeah. even though it's like. I'm from the Crusades. I'm Greek or whatever. <laughs> it's like uh, they're all just tactical people. Like if if they made uh, the old guard now, they would just be like in Seattle, like, you know, beanbagging protesters. I like how this film's conception of history is that everyone in history was just a soldier. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like these four guys. And, and it really is worth going through the name. Uh, Charlize Theron, Andromache of Scythia. Uh, I mean... The Scythians is like may or may not be a legitimate people. Like it describes a whole region of nomadic horsemen, some of whom were pretty white. Uh, some Do you of mean whom... horse people. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I put the I put, I put the woman in horse woman. Ho horse um, folks. 
<laughs> yeah, horse horse folks. Horse with an X instead of an F. Horks horks pals. Um <laughs> Uh yeah, I hate I hate being called pal. Please don't call me pal. I agree um, because I think we're from Southern Ontario, so when people here say like bud and pal, it makes me feel like they're they want to starting fight me. a fight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey buddy. Yeah, like uh like in like growing up growing up brown, uh big reveal here, I am not white. Um dun, growing dun, up dun. <laughs> Growing up brown, it's like the the condescending uncle thing of like calling you buddy all the time and like patting your head or grabbing your fat stomach and saying you need to lose weight um and like i have like i have like a weird relationship that would whenever someone calls me buddy i just i want to punch them in the face Mm -hmm. like i'm not a violent person by nature but that actually like requires some sort of repression um yeah andromache of scythia which uh you know becomes andy um Sebastian Le Livre, Sebastian the Book, um, who was a French soldier who fought under Napoleon. Um, I, I want to hear Napoleon say, bring me the book. <laughs> Just standing bring by me. his cannons. I, I need a good read right now. Bring me three musketeers. Uh, bring me bring me the head of S- Sebastian Le Livre. Um, uh, Yusuf Al-Kisani, um, which like... I love I love the name Yusuf because it really is just Joe, in <laughs> in Arabic, and that's what they call him. He was the hottest um, one. Oh yeah, yeah. he was Amen. extremely hot. Um, and he's his uh, this is my favorite one. He was uh, his lover is Nicolo di Genova, who's a former Italian crusader. They started <laughs> off as enemies and became lovers after discovering their immortality, Sorry. which is amazing like there's so much to unpack both in terms of like it's historicity um and everything else like yeah yeah we're gonna get into this a little bit later but there's quite a bit of like the queer uh bait in this um but i loved when um the two lovers were uh trapped in um like they were trapped in a in a fucking plane or whatever and um the the soldiers are like oh you guys are fucking gay (laughs) and then basically like the italian one or the i can't remember which one does like a slam poem about how like (laughs) how you can never understand a love that has stretched through millennia and his kiss still gives him chills like it's the first time i was like damn i need me a man like this (laughs) i it reminded me of two divergent phenomenon one was of course the wife guy um, mm-hmm. where he's like defending the honor uh, of his beloved but the other was like the first episode of the newsroom where it's yes. like oh I guess you guys are gay and it's like you think I'm gay yeah you're right I am gay <laughs> 70% of gay men are very happy with their partners 100% of people in this pairing believe that they have the love of their life yeah. in their arms yeah, so totally. when you say that I'm gay I laugh at you <laughs> like then the uh, all the other like mercenaries stand up and clap yeah, exactly. kind of a thing and and it cuts away to one of them who makes like a witty tag uh to you know cap off the statement or whatever and there's there's um, an old guy in a bow tie at the studio saying god damn we're back in business <laughs> i i think it's worth talking very quickly uh and we can we can sort of transition into troop worship here because this film folks it loves the troops uh Chowetel, uh Ejifor, plays James Copley, who's like a, a CIA agent, um, who, Copley? you know, yeah, his, uh, his turn is that he betrays them 
but and this is my favorite part of the movie i actually i i laughed uh at this part he he unbetrays them and helps them once he finds out that they're being tortured i I loved that when (laughs) when when the the tech billionaire like the the pharma billionaire is like oh the cia's never done anything like this and he's like no (laughs) we are an organization of honor and decency saluting the screen it's just like, okay, you know how I'm obsessed with the fact that Gloria Steinem was a spook? Yes. She was a, uh, she worked for the CIA during the 60s and goes like on record all the time being like the CIA was very honorable at the time. I'm like, motherfucker, that's like right in the middle of fucking the death waves in like um, Indonesia, you fucking bitch. Mm-hmm. I'm reading, I'm reading the Jakarta method right now. Like I'm about a third of the way through it. Spoiler, that's going to be my recommendation. So you can skip that at the end, listener. But like, yeah, no, well, we're doing nothing... early recommendation reveals. I'm saving mine. Are... I'm saving myself um, for the segment. There was, there's nothing honorable about the CIA, but I, I love that. I love this like very shitty conception of history that this film embodies both about mm-hmm. like warfare, soldiers, history. It's like, it's like an incredibly nihilistic um, film and it's like idea that like, Oh yeah, you know, if we were immortal, like we just like his not even if we were immortal, like humanity has just been at war all the time, right? And it's like, yeah, warfare, you know, marks shifting points in history and it's it's a culmination of various factors leading up to it, but like also the vast majority of human history is like cooperative city building, <laughs> Rome, like societies being built, you know, like how long did the Egyptian Empire last? How long did the Malian Empire last? Like you know, warfare and violence, yeah, is a, is an essential part of human history. But it's like it's an incredibly sophomoric idea that like the history of humanity is is purely violence and nothing else. Like it is like a very edgy teenager or just like dumb guy take to yeah. just assume that like violence is the backbone of of human nature and human development. When it's like, yeah, I mean, even violence is like. It, it's not like emergent out of nothing right yeah. it's it's yeah. it's a development out of like cultural and historical factors but this is like what if blackwater was eternal <laughs> like what if eric prince started in on the fucking persian step uh i also think that this movie is very much like it's kind of like forrest gump in that you like go through, <laughs> you like go through time and they like take pictures but they're like oh andy was in the civil war and andy like um, did this and Andy saved somebody who later went on to create a vaccine or whatever and it's just very much this like great man theory of history where like individual actors are the ones that change the course of events and nothing nothing else about you know it's it's bad man make good speeches the way we talk about Hitler mm-hmm. <laughs> things like that right uh, just in the opposite way book you I'm got magic hit- legs <laughs> We need yeah. to do Forrest Gump at some point. That would be that would be fun. Hitler and I, we, has a magic mouth. That's, uh, <laughs> you know, Goebbels. Goebbels is looking at him, saying, "You got a ma- you got magic lips." Uh, you know. <laughs> oh um, uh, yeah, oh like, no! I just shut up, my nigga. Shut up. Yeah. So that was the riff that was too hot for the pod. Uh... Yeah, I think that great man theory is really interesting because, like, it's it's. I'm going to be an enlightened centrist here and say that great man theory is exactly half true. <laughs> um, because like it, it, it sits at this confluence of like, if you attribute all of humanity to like individual actors, which is like what great man theory does it, it 
like completely removes um like geographic or cultural relationships that emerge out of like you know the land or you know yeah geography or relationships mm-hmm. with each other but if you go completely the other way you get like something like guns germs and steel which is a like a it's a sham of a history book but b it it completely wipes people of their agency and like complicity and things like slavery or like colonialism or even like the holocaust like there is an in-between whereas like the quote-unquote great men are emergent like yeah they're they're culminatory points out of uh out of like you know specific historical confluences that they couldn't control right like alexander is a really good example of this um whereas this film again i love it because it's just like what if, yeah, what if uh, we had, you know, the Navy SEALs <laughs> during the Crusades? <laughs> um, it There is a really good film about immortality that a lot of people hate called The Man from Earth, which is where, like, a university professor um, invites all of his friends over for, like, a dinner party and then, like, reveals to them that he's actually immortal and that he's, like, a caveman who's just been, like, flouncing around on Earth his entire his entire life um and it's it gets a bad rap because it's very very talky and it was made for like no money but it's such an interesting like exploration of like the psychology and relationships and like idea of time when you're immortal like Mm -hmm. you know how as you get older your idea of time changes like you Mm -hmm. interpret time more quickly like you interpret yeah i think it's 1.5 times uh when you're like 60 years old than you were when you were born how can they they Um, can't quantify that they they can i see i see it as (laughs) true i don't know i'm not a brain scientist but i think that's true i don't believe that (laughs) i think it's true (laughs) i'm a time Uh, truther i think it's just like like it's more relative to you i don't think that i don't know yeah like i mean there's there's like so much more life to process mm-hmm. that you've already been through so yeah. i feel like it all just kind of a day doesn't blends matter together much, and it's yeah. like uh, you know just marching towards marching um, towards I'm lo- death i'm looking at a scientific study right now where they did actually quantify it uh using using basically sample data from you know how fast do you think certain things happen from a variety of age ranges and like but uh, that's yeah that's like that's qualitative information so like making making a quantitative claim doesn't make a lot of sense i mean but you can once you have a large enough sample size you can average it out and like make a pretty good claim to something that's look, like quantitative look everyone knows i'm a brain scientist and i say this is bullshit does not pass the smell test here here's a question for you guys would you want to be immortal or not i am gonna yes. say ooh, i'm gonna say no uh, i definitely want to live like a max a hundred years and <laughs> like, then does pass your body away peacefully. Get all fucked up? Um, that's tough. Like, because like if you're like immortal and you're like thirty the whole time, it's like eh, it's pretty good, I guess. But like, I think like, and this this is kind of another film to talk about uh, a ghost story uh, with uh, the canceled Casey Affleck from a while ago. Mm-hmm. Like it, that movie did a lot to convince me that I would definitely not want to be immortal because you just see like all of your anchors for reason and like, you know, relating to place have gone <laughs> and yeah. like all the people that you would have known are gone. Mm-hmm. And like, what's the but point? You wouldn't care at a certain point. You wouldn't care because you've seen it happen for like eons and eons and millennia and millennia. Like I, like I, I have a deep seated fear of death, um, which is really weird when you like 
faced with crippling depression. I feel like uh, it's like a normal things, fear, though. Yeah. Yeah, the two things are, like, perpetually in conflict um, in my head. But, like, uh, yeah, like, I don't know. At a certain point, you just wouldn't attach yourself to anything or, like, relationships would be you know as as fleeting as like i'd know drinking a cup of coffee or something right like, like a you zen just... master kind of exactly i mean and i'd like to qualify that i would like to die when the world explodes that's <laughs> like oh, i wouldn't man. like to be floating <laughs> floating in space for eons until like an alien race may or may not pick me up and study me for parts like um yeah but like yeah I, I don't know i think i think the idea of immortality is really interesting i think of a film like the fountain uh, you know, which in, is Darren Aronofsky's best film, in my opinion, which uh, which sort of covers the idea of like, you know, infinite humanity and like the idea of what it means to be like a transcendent person, um, which is really cool. Like the man from Earth, like people who would be immortal are not this boring. And I think that's the problem with this movie is they're so tedious. I guess I feel like for me, my question on the immortality thing is a big N.O. Um, I feel like. The reason why like life is meaningful is because it's finite and like I went through a really big phase of being like terrified of death um, for a while because I think <clears throat> I think it happens in your life. My therapist says it happens in your 30s a lot where you're mm-hmm. just like oh shit like doors are being closed to me and actually like this this thing does not go on forever but people tend to uh, as they get older become more at peace with with the idea and um i think that i have like a kind of like vague understanding of like um a consciousness that exists uh because i you know i i i don't know i it's it's complicated but i do think that there's like something more emergent um that happens some kind of like intelligence that is broader and bigger and i think that that's part of the reason why you know i many Everyone knows I'm a spiritual seeker, right? I, I'm out there. I'm looking for the truth. I'm looking for meaning all the time. And I think that that's what in large part like draws me to like the left project is because um, I see it as a way of um, improving this like broader thing of humanity of which I am only a tiny, tiny piece, right? So I think that I think that like life is precious because it is short and um that's why we gotta like fight like hell while while we're in it no i i there's that saying about you know uh people plant trees that they'll never see get to sit in the shade of or whatever no i want to sit in the shade of that fucking tree i want to sit in the shade of the goddamn forest give me the shade (laughs) yeah uh yeah i want to be the shade um I had a boyfriend once when I was in my undergrad and um okay go off bragging (laughs) I didn't have a boyfriend when I was in my undergrad but whatever um I had a boyfriend and uh um he was like unfortunately he was right about everything because this was at my time where I was like at peak um like social justice warrior and he'd be like I just think that these politics are like X, Y, and Z. And I'd be like, you don't, you're just a man. You don't understand. But then later on, I'm like, we're still friends. So I'm like, fuck man. Like you were correct. And, um, I remember I was very into the singularity at one point. Remember mm. that? Ray Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, wait, are we talking about the same singularity as an in artificial intelligence? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Kurtzweil thinks it's going to happen. He's also like a yeah. crank who like saves everything his dad ever touched so that he can like, recreate him 
uh, when the technology happens and we're going to merge with machine consciousness by like 2050 or whatever. That, she also takes 110 pills a day. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> good good for uh, him. But it sounds really normal. I, but- like he's taken, sorry, just to very quickly expand on this. He, uh, for those who don't know, Ray Kurzweil um, is a dude who is obsessed with living to see the singularity. So he has some sort of mathematical calculation for living the longest possible life. Mm-hmm. So he takes a bunch of pills that, that, you know, are designed to like prolong and make him nutrient, uh, make him like, you know, nutrient, uh, not nutrient deficient that reduces mm-hmm. risk of cancer. Um, he like has a mathematical formula for biking, right? Like where he bikes around his neighborhood and he's like, if I bike for X amount of time, my odds of being hit by a car are within the acceptable margin of risk or like dying from like a bike accident. Um, he's 72 and I'm looking at a picture of him from 2005. Man does not look good. Um, he <laughs> does, I do not think he's going to be able to witness, my, uh, witness this. Yeah. My man just needs some Botox and filler. That's okay. Maybe his insides are perfect exactly. and golden, but his outsides are, I, are melting. I also think that there's no reason to not be like a tech rich person and not, have a sick face like i'm sorry yeah i would be accessing i would it would be all different everything would be all jacked up it'd be rearranged i it would be beautiful i think the only like uh like reconstructive thing i would do if i had like all the money is just your teeth right because every rich person fixes their teeth yeah or like elon musk style like fixing your hair yeah for a while i thought that good hair though thank you for a while i thought uh formula one champion lewis hamilton uh got like more hair because he was rich because he had like a very fucked up hairline right um but he just got like dreads and it looks really good (laughs) so like you can you can work with what you've got are we the podcast with the best hair we do Ooh, all have we excellent have really hair. good hair, all of us. Um, hmm. I'm I have that like rare genetic thing. You know how your hair swirls out from one point in your head? A cowlick, yeah. Yeah, you know, I have I have two, <laughs> um, which is like an, an odd, weird like genetic hangover. Now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like we have some competition for best hair. I mean, like Dumbage Media, obviously they have great mm-hmm. hair. Uh, Minion Death Cult, they're both really hot. They're, so yeah. it's, are the aren't they both ho- shaved pretty tight? Ooh. Uh, I don't know if Mini and Death Cult's like both shaved right now. No, I feel like Tony's keeping it pretty tight. Uh, I don't know about Alex. Guys, Alex DM me your hair. hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, enough being horny for other podcasters. Woo! Um, what I was gonna say about the Ray Kurzweil living forever thing is that um, my boyfriend at the time was like. I was telling him, I'm like, I'm going to live to see the singularity. It's going to be sick. I'm not even worried about dying anymore. And he was like, no, you're fucking not. Like, rich people will, not you. They're not bringing you to Mars, baby. I was like, oh, <laughs> you're going to be working. It's going to be like the, the the whole service economy, like, transformation where, um, you know, the people who can work from home, such as us, are being served by the people who can't mm-hmm. via, like, DoorDash and, you know, Amazon deliveries and whatever. And, like, in the future, if they unlocked the secret to immortality, it would just be, like, these immortal beings being served by these little ants who just, like, come in and out, right? That's extremely true. Um, This isn't a recomradation, but a piece... I've been playing way too much Hitman recently. Uh, Hitman is a perfect video game. Um, And the last mission of the second game is called the Ark Society. And it's basically an eyes wide shut situation where you go to this, like, island of, like, the most elite people in the world... Uh, and they're called the Ark Society because they've invested a lot of their fortunes into different ways to survive the apocalypse. Um, so there's like 
you know, this like machine learning, like downloading your consciousness thing, living in the Arctic, uh, starting like a, you know, space society. Um, and it's it's very funny because like there was this one comment that I, I've been thinking about for a little bit because there's like this oil baron who refuses to transition to green energy, even though like they're just like, no, like we've planned for you to become the good guys in the new economy uh, and like make sure your grandchildrens have like even more money than you do now. Um, and then uh, there's like this evil character who's talking to him and it's just like, you know, if the world really ends, like all society will break down and everyone will be equal. You won't have like all this incredible capital wealth that you had. So it's going to be communist. <laughs> so then he decides to vote against it to just like die in whatever apocalypse comes next. So it's uh, it's interesting. Like there's a lot of like interesting possibilities with like survive like post-humanism i guess if we're talking about like immortality like downloading your consciousness or whatever but it is still rooted in like whatever economic system exists at the time right because like man fucking downloading your consciousness and like having a memory of the kind of person you were but then having to work at mcdonald's (laughs) like as this like immortal robot and then one day what if like your gears to stop working or something right. right because like people with more money will have better access to like better robot bodies or yeah. whatever like it's it's like those still fundamental relationships exist if we don't transform them or so. maybe what will happen is that because they got to do all the testing on people to mm. to download them into the um the mainframe or whatever i don't know how the, the internet works the matrix like Maybe you'll get a bunch of people who just like live in botched like liminal space forever. They never Ooh. fully die and they're completely alone. Purgatory. I mean, Milo Milo Sweedler, uh, who's a prof at the University of Waterloo and like uh, a very good leftist like film academic, has a really good chapter in his book, like Allegories of the End of Capitalism. It would be great to actually have him on the show at some point. That sounds cool. Uh, yeah, he's amazing. And he talks about like six movies that were made um, uh, post-financial crash, but not financial crash movies, right? Like he talks about Elysium, mm-hmm. uh, Cosmopolis, Django Unchained, um, mm-hmm. and Melancholia, mm-hmm. um, and how they're like expressions of anger coming out of the, the financial crash. Um, and and I don't really like his take on Elysium because I think that if if like the idea of immortality or history teaches us anything, it's that power is not like an inevitable process <laughs> you know what i mean like like rome may have lasted ten thousand years but rome still fell right like egypt same thing like it they, these are empires that lasted forever and like capitalism is in its current form quite young yeah you know what i mean like it might it might last a long time hopefully yeah. not but like <clears throat> this idea that you know the post-futurist world will be the gig economy is an outcropping of just like i think a a strain of dystopian science fiction more than it is a realistic approach to like how power is consolidated and how power is lost like um a friend of the show bob barnetson another academic has this great essay where he's like every single science fiction dystopian film has um like it has like corpocracy is like a core element but it never has labor unions (laughs) Um, and it's like, that's how you, yeah. And it's like, that's how, you know, it, it's a dystopia because it has a world where there's like no worker power and no worker agency. And like most of these stories gravitate towards people who are, um, who are ultimately like the one person who challenges a corporatic status quo. Right. right. And it's like, realistically that will, 
likely never happen. Like even with surveillance capitalism, even with power being consolidated, even with all this stuff, like ultimately it's, it's a purely numbers game. <laughs> um, and it's a numbers game in terms of us versus them, but it's also a numbers game in terms of like the fluidity and the tenuousness of like finance capital and stuff like right. that. Like these things on a purely material level, like resource wise cannot last. It's impossible. Right. But to sort of take it back to the movie, which we've spent all of um, five minutes talking about, <laughs> um, this film is also interesting because it's like colonial fantasy. Like it's, it's just like eternal imperialism from five people who just like go to every war and like inject themselves into like key points in history. There's a great moment at the beginning where like, you know, the troop, uh, convinces the poor women in perfect Arabic to uh, let him in, let them in to see the terrorist because real men don't use women as human shields. It's like this, like very Oriental, very like, uh, yeah. I, would, I would say like outright Islamophobic uh, approach to like Eastern culture and stuff like that. It, it was very strange and off-putting. Um, I understand what the movie is trying to do. Like it's trying to like, have this like blanket like we're empowering women and it's going to be a scene of like women protecting each other but what we end up getting is like you know these like women marines stormtroopers of of the american empire uh are going house to house to find uh some guy right who we have to assume is like some kind of like maybe like taliban fighter or something um so then they go to this like group of women who are just huddled around for some reason we don't know maybe they've been rounded up for questioning um and then uh she's speaking to them in pashto and just talking about how like oh you won't dishonor your family if you tell me where he is right it's like oh i'm very attuned to the local culture right it's the it is very orientalist in, in that fashion right because like the like people in the east's lives are dominated by like emotion honor and dishonor uh, you know, very strict gender roles. Um, so then, you know, she's able to like shoot this guy twice. And like the the movie is like interested in like flipping the script in air quotes uh, around like representation of like women and people of color in action movies. But we do end up with this scene where there's like, you know, an Afghan man who's like dying, who then takes out like, you know, a long knife to like slash her throat as she's dying so like we're only left with kind of this message of like people in afghanistan are children on the side of a like humvee getting a lollipop or like they're a constant threat it's almost like that american sniper type mindset and it's just totally like all throughout the film it's it's like one of these things where films inform other films through the lens of like reality like I really like, um, well, not like, but I, I'm really fascinated by, like, how post-9-11 cinema positions, um, like, you know, Afghani, Pakistani, like, Middle Eastern culture is being Klingons. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, honor and death uh, type shit, which is, like, this film, you know, for any time it's on here, including and up to and including, like, the, the gay Muslim guy, right? Like, um... <clears throat> Uh, like posits this this idea of like honor and death and it also like tries to skirt the idea of like colonial fantasy by everyone being like from a different race or whatever like it's a very like united colors of benetton approach to like a mercenary uh society or whatever which is just like 
I don't get it. Like, I don't get, like, if you were immortal, why would you spend your entire immortality cutting other people's lives short? <laughs> like, just, yeah. it's it's psychopathic in, like, a big way. Like, and, and that's a conversation that Laura and I were having, too. It's like, if you have been alive for, like, 6,000 years or even, like, 300 years or something, why would your life be just dedicated to, like, warfare? Like, you could vibe. Uh, you could be like a philosopher who's had like this very longitudinal view of like history. You could be a historian, right? Like you could just like sit on top of a mountain and like be a very spiritual person. Like you could be a great artist. Like there's like so many possibilities with like you, you having the chance to live so many lives, right? But they choose to be murderers, like soldiers, right? And it's like we, and like even the morality of that is kind of thrown into the air, like, uh, Niall, like, the Marine, she asks, like, so are we the good guys or the bad guys? And then they're like, oh, it depends on the century, right? So it's, like, it's all relative, you know, they don't really, they kind of care about the morality of their missions because, like, you know, they want they want to kill the, the Boko Haram-type people, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, they want to go after Big Pharma, Pet the I, dog I type guess. dog-type moment for mercenaries. Yeah, it's, like... I don't know. And then, yeah, we were you were talking about the flashbacks, Abdul. The costumes that they're in are so fucking bad. Like, like I mean, Game of Thrones, like, obviously the budgets for those episodes are very high. And, like, usually the costumes look great and everything. This movie costs $70 million, by the way. They look like they are in spirit Halloween, like, Viking <laughs> costumes. It's so... These motherfuckers look like they're in an opera. Yeah. <laughs> like a community college. It, it was not good folks not good uh the like yeah pharmaceutical stuff is really fascinating because like it tries to justify it's like it's like fantasy elements of like you know we're just going around the world killing poor people for six thousand years as being like justified somehow because they're only killing bad people and it's like yeah i mean pharmaceutical executives are bad and like you know we can talk about what they deserve um off pod <laughs> so that we maintain our uh you know that we so that we maintain our uh, viability on apple podcasts but like um just that whole idea of like having to couch it and like oh no we only kill bad people is stunning because like our introduction to these people is a literal war of imperialism like it's a literal war for oil in the middle east yeah. um and it's like no no, no. it was a war yeah. to protect ladies yeah, who were just a, loitering. The we, ladies were just loitering outside their fucking dead guy's <laughs> house. Uh, yeah. We've got to uh, liberate women from the hijab and also make sure that women can wear the hijab if they want. That's that's the liberal line. Yeah, I, I do love, I do love, like, liberal intersectionalism because it doesn't understand its own politics. Um, and this is, like, a good example of that. And I'm sure we'll get into that in the reading series. Um, but like, you know, it's both, it's both pro and anti hijab, right? It's mm, like, exactly. I mean, it, 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 the hijab is a choice. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. it ultimately boils down to a question of choice, right? Mm -hmm. Not compulsion. It's like, it doesn't like, oh, people in, in the Middle East are treated so badly because of this and this and this, uh, and, uh, people, here, but here, people here should be allowed to, yeah, it's just completely, yeah incoherent but it's, i i would like to know how they justify it in their own heads yeah like, that's something i don't get i don't i don't think that well i just think that they think it's oppressive full stop right and that like any culture that like forces women to do anything is like fucked up but like we're all forced to do something i'm forced to go to work right like it's all i mean it's all like 
I don't know. It's it's such a the the choice angle on anything is just like a fully um, neoliberal frame. You're forced to get married in a white wedding dress where you spent sixty thousand dollars, so your racist uncle can get drunk at the open bar, <laughs> and you know, and and call the Mexican you know bartender the s word. Like it's it's not like these it's not like these compulsions about hijab are any different than like any of the societal norms we end up. Uh, like conforming to even if we're like mm. progressive people i.e the the big white dress wedding mm. right um but i mean speaking of left liberalism evan you have a reading series for us yeah i do uh and i've been going through this article on my phone while we've been talking and uh i just stumbled upon a nugget unlike any other <laughs> that connects this movie in uh i'll say questionable ways to current politics so mm. i'm looking at an interview with the director uh from polygon uh the headlines incredible i like polygon a lot um you know they, they usually cover things from an interesting lens but you know you can't win them all uh so this article director gina prince bythewood wants the old guard to quote normalize our thoughts about black people um <laughs> what? What so <laughs> i kind of understand what that means but also it's no. worth mentioning before you say this the director is black yes the director is a black woman uh so abdul you've seen one of her uh one of her pieces love and basketball it's apparently so that's good. great yeah it's amazing yeah it's it's maybe the best basketball movie ever made after um he got game it's it's actually a wonderful uh, romance romance film romance romance film yeah. <laughs> and she romance. and she did work on everybody hates chris which is a show great that show. yeah universally beloved yeah. everybody hates chris um so this interview gets into a lot of like very interesting content about like you know the gender of these characters the race of these characters um what she did to prepare for shooting the movie so i think uh i think that's uh pretty interesting i i feel like when i was watching this movie um it it just felt so you know paint by numbers to me and the things like the gay subplots um felt so uh tacked in and and put in there for the reason of like um being you know used in a gif a uh, reaction gif on twitter you know that it it just felt so it didn't feel like a person made it and it didn't mm. feel like it had anything to say about race or gender it was almost like living in a post it was like post race I feel so uh the first bit of this interview i'm gonna read uh it's not really a joke or anything but it, it's like what's the director's mindset about yeah. like these forms of representation so i really wanted to look at what the old guard could be to make it different one of the things i love so much about it is the organic diversity the fact that there was this group of warriors from different cultures and backgrounds and sexual orientations and genders that came together to protect humanity Given me who I am as a filmmaker and an artist and a black woman, I wanted to make sure the cast of this film looked like the world and not just like one thing, which I felt like we were getting a lot of in action. I feel like that's respectable, right? Yeah, like, that's fine. I'm, Nothing wrong with that. I'm super down with that. So there's a gay couple in here and a young black female warrior and a Muslim warrior, all things we don't normally get to see in films like this. And then there's the fact that the leads are two women and that they're both warriors, then there's this normalcy to it. Andy's been a warrior for 6,000 years, and Niall is a baby immortal. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> baby witch, um, baby I just immortal. Wanna, I want to very quickly just mention, like, in its 
in its like almost psychopathic approach to like not addressing these things, it makes them <laughs> way bigger. Like it draws attention to them because it it completely tries to not draw attention to them. Yeah, you know I mean, like it's it it goes so far one way um, that it like ends up becoming the only thing you notice. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it's like she's not normalizing it. Like there's, there's a scene where this guy recites a slam poem, like, (laughs) you know, Saul, Saul Williams style about his gay (laughs) lover. And then gives him a kiss. That is one of the longest shots in this hyperactively edited movie, which is like, fine. I don't give a shit about gay men kissing in movies, obviously, but it's like, don't say you tried to normalize it. Like modern family does a better job normalizing it. Yeah, exactly. I've been watching the good place lately and it's a great show. I love that show. And also, I remember Eleanor- I recommended it to you and you told me it sucked and you hated it. I, I watched the first episode, which I thought was boring, but then I got back into it and I've been watching it like crazy. I just wasn't in the right mood the first time, um, mm-hmm. but I've been very into it. Mm-hmm. And uh- <laughs> <laughs> vindicated. Um, yes, Abdul, you were right. Um, is that Thank what you. you wanted to hear? <laughs> yes, it absolutely was. Yes, but correct. in that in that show, like uh, there's like a run of like lots of jokes about like basically Eleanor being bisexual, but they don't. It, they're not like she is a bisexual. <laughs> Look, she has a a flag up. You know, <laughs> so weird. <sighs> so Niall's a baby immortal, but she's a marine. She came from warriors. I wanted to normalize that there wasn't some traumatic event that happened to force them to find their strength. It's just innate in these women in a way that I feel is innate in most women. We just don't always have, we just haven't always been given the permission to tap into that. I love women and how ferocious they are. So I I love how Niles, sorry, very quickly. Niles is a black woman without a father. Um, But I love how, I love how they, (laughs) unfortunate. Yeah. I love how they do the thing where it's like, what if these black kids with no dads are that way because their dads died fighting for your freedom in the Middle East? Like, it's it's like an offensive stereotype to begin with that, like, speaks to, like, you know, cultural memory trauma and a bunch of other shit. Um, but I, I love the way it's like, next time you, you think about Ben Shapiroing a black person, think about the fact that their dad may have been a warrior in the Middle East who died for a Camaro. It's like... No, just don't do that, period. Don't even think about that. What the fuck is wrong with you? Why is this something you need to occupy your brain space with? It's like black people's dads. So uh, she's talking about the plane fight scene. We fast forwarded through that because I had watched the old guard once and then I gave Laura a guided viewing of it where... (laughs) Laura basically watched an hour of the old guard, but missed nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, this is about the plane fight. We have two women fighting. They're both badass, and this has to look real. It's never going to be sexualized. I don't want anyone to ever say, oh, my God, what a hot cat fight. It wasn't about sexualizing <laughs> the women or making this fight sexy. I wanted you to feel their strength and their skill and talk about that instead of talking about how they look when they're fighting. So those elements were bringing together something different and disruptive. We were talking about this, Abdul. The action doesn't really have any weight to it. Yeah. It's it's some of some of I would say like occasionally there's like one or two moments in an action scene where I'm like, that was kind of cool. Yeah. But most of it is very rote, very dull, mm-hmm. and it feels like like a YouTube channel yeah. made the action scenes. And not even like a good YouTube the, channel. The only thing aesthetically I would say this movie has going for it is that the um niles the black uh, woman character is lit very well that's one thing i noticed that's it (laughs) 
Um, yeah, like she's she's definitely like pops uh, in the scenes she's in because the rest of the film looks like mud. Yeah. Um, aside from Charlize Theron, who's very hot, but like um, her beauty transform <clears throat> tra- transcends the shitty color palette. Yeah, I know it's definitely like colonized mindset when I say that too, because she's like a Dutch Afrikaner. But uh, you know what? I Whatever. Think, uh, I don't think that know. just finding Charlize Theron hot means you're siding with apartheid. That's nuts. Yeah, actually, what would Fanon have to say about this? <laughs> yeah, pretty. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like very deep into like a very critical reading of uh, Wretched of the Earth right now, um, and it's like definitely uh, informing the way I'm relating to like just race in general i think uh, mostly in a positive way but then the psychopathic way like <laughs> thinking about is finding charlie's there and hot mean i'm mean i'm like uh, you know the colonized self or whatever um but like yeah like the action but, okay sequences... to be fair france fanon didn't see charlie's there you know, oh like, that's, that's, true. that's true actually yeah you know he is before his time it's, he, it's... He, bridget bardot he saw bridget bardot and was like I don't know. <laughs> it's like that famous scene uh, at the beginning of Black Skin White Masks, where he's like, I don't know if it's at the very beginning, but he's like on a like subway car or a bus or something, and some child is like being like scared and racist uh, to him. But instead of that, it's him as a child looking at Charlize Theron and going like, "Oh my god!" Like I've seen this like incredible <laughs> new thing that I'm just forming like a sociological uh, frame around. Um, so this is potentially my favorite part, uh, of the interview. So the interview is asking about like, oh, how'd you give the characters like maybe three dimensions, right? Because the comics like, you know, relatively short, some of the characters don't have full arcs because it's a comic book. Um, so you're going to like this. The other big thing I wanted to add, I touched on this earlier is that in preparation for this film, I read this great book. Think about that. Asterix, great book called On Killing, which many soldiers say is the definitive book on war. It talks about how the act of taking a life is oh as damaging God, psychologically down. as your fear of losing your life on the battlefield. You are correct. The author of On Killing is Dave Grossman. Oh my God. Holy fuck. The guy who is training US cops to become murderers, yeah. and he is a professor of killology, killology. A, fear, a field he invented himself. Literally killology. Okay, you know what? Fuck this bitch. Uh, Love and Basketball, <laughs> critical rereading of uh, what was a very good Hate movie. Hate football. Like, that is, Replace it. That is psychopathic. Yeah. Like, oh my god. And that's really uncomfortable. Like, I mean, I don't know. <sighs> like, obviously this movie was probably filmed a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know... But, like, all this stuff is very public now, so I'm not going to say, like, Why would oh. you say that in an interview in 2020? That's the, that's <laughs> yeah, the thing, exactly. right? Like, well, I don't think a lot of people know that the that link between, you know, like, the Israeli military, the, the police force um, in the States, they don't know about, like, um, this guy who goes around, like, militarizing, um, like, every police department. They don't know these things, and I don't think that it... I don't think that it's, like... I don't think that it's that explicit to people. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, like, it's it's still, like, pretty nuts that this guy who, like, if you've ever even just skimmed on killing, like, it is, like, a lot of pro-cop bullshit, right? Like, it's a lot of, like, cop apologia. And it's just, like, why would you think that's a normal thing to say in an interview, even just by, like, a surface-level reading of that text, right? Like... 
it it strikes me as absolutely and you also don't see that in the movie like like no one feels remorse or trauma from killing in this film at yeah, all they do the marine has like a whole um thing where she's talking about the piled up bodies and i'm like oh, right Bitch, yeah. you're a marine come on <laughs> yeah because like it's only detailed in like charlie's theron looks sad when she's stabbing a guy in one scene and like then they talk about it and it's like andy you're a killing machine it's like you gotta feel every person you kill and it's like wouldn't isn't that the opposite really of yeah. like a a warrior right like you like an essential part of war is you have to dehumanize your enemy right or else you live and even when you do you live forever with the guilt mm-hmm. of taking another human life right so i like i'm the thing with like an immortal group of warriors like the thing to me that would be interesting about them is that they are so detached from their humanity after massacring thousands of people right like but they're just like they're just like you or i right they're just like regular soldiers right like in afghanistan or iraq or something right they're just like you know betting on stuff and like they have good rapport but like they don't come across as these people who like you know were raised in a very specific time and place Mm -hmm. and have like a very specific relationship to like you know people and places and religion and everything else so um the old guard Let's go around the table. What do we think about it? Skip it. It was boring. It was long. Um, I mean, I only watched 50% of it, maybe. But uh, I feel like I got everything I needed to out of it. I don't know. There's better action movies. Watch those. Yeah, the pile of bodies she was referring to is actually the Haditha Massacre. Uh, you know, it's just like you you feel bad about killing 24 women and children um, for no reason. Uh, yeah, this film is like fascinating um, from like, the, especially in like the political context where now where it's like, again, it is this like very specifically like lib neolib mm-hmm. conception of like the world and like military valor and like warfare that that tries to wrap it in a progressive lens like it's almost a cliche of like what people say about like more women lockheed martin ceos or whatever right um if you are horny for charlize uh definitely watch this movie uh you know in slow motion but um just if Google you are and not, search her, honestly. <laughs> yeah, you can, have a better time. Yeah, go to go to the Mr. Skin page oh for Charlie's oh there. God of <laughs> It's like, like a, um, it's like rewatching Wanted exclusively for that one scene where Angelina Jolie takes off her towel and just frequently rewinding it. Uh, I've never done that as a child when Wanted came out on DVD. I'm just saying. Wouldn't that be it's funny? Like, it's like getting Fast Times at Ridgemont High on VHS from Blockbuster, and like the scene where What's-Her-Face takes her top off is like degraded because so many people have just like paused on More that. More innocent time when we it's had to like... get our porn from from our mass media. And you had to purchase yeah, it. From- from Blockbuster and uh, magazines you find in the woods before you find the dead body on the tracks. Um, oh my God. Stand by me, everyone. Come on. Uh, yeah, no, skip it. Not good. Yeah, so uh, rewinding the old guard to see incredible moments of representation over and over again. Um, so I was excited to watch the old guard um, because people were talking about, oh, it's cool how like you know a woman directed this and they're like women characters in an action movie. Uh all those things philosophically i'm very okay with Rep- representation in media everything else Kevin loves to see women i i love seeing women i love scoping out honeys and sweeties <laughs> but like the the action wasn't very good in this movie there are one or two moments especially near the beginning where i was like that was tight 
you know, I can definitely get on board with this movie. If it's like a mix of like swords and guns doing cool shit, most of the movie is people talking at safe houses going like, I've lost a lot in my life. And it's like, I don't care. Like, get back to doing cool shit. So I would say definitely skip it. You don't need to watch The Old Guard. This has like a 70% on Metacritic. Weird. Which I was very surprised by. Like, because I, I was anticipating a certain level of quality from the movie, but I think yeah. it's just because there are so few movies out now yeah. that people are like, oh, th- this is great, right? So I wouldn't watch it. Um, Let's move into our last segment of the show, Recomradations, uh, a segment we bring you every week talking about life experiences, media, or anything else under the sun that we've enjoyed and that we... We pass the savings on to you, the listener. Uh, Abdul, do you have any recommendations for us this week? Yeah, actually, I have. I I already recommended the Jakarta Method, which I think is a um, terrific book that you should uh, definitely check out. Uh, it's a very quick read, and it will uh, blow your brain. Um, but <clears throat> because I already recommended that, I'm going to recommend another book that I'm I'm only a chapter into it, uh, but it. It's already given me a lot. I'm going to recommend the book Rise and Kill First, The Secret History of Israel's Targeted Assassinations by Ronan Bergman, um, which is a a 750-page book on uh, Mossad, the IDF, Shin Bet, and their, like, uh, you know, culpability in more assassinations than you can ever fucking imagine. It's it's about the Israeli security and state apparatus in general. I want to thank uh, Jake Hanrahan, his amazing podcast, Popular Front, for recommending that. Um, it is it is extremely good. Um, it is meticulously researched and, like the Jakarta Method, will give you a lot to think about when thinking about the state of Israel and its like mm. perpetual victim complex when it's like arguably, ki- of course, backed by the CIA, uh, mostly. I mean, sometimes they go against them. Um, but like this, this like perpetual victimization of the state of Israel, um, particularly in the U.S., is is a complete fucking sham. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. these are some of the most bloodthirsty murderers on the fucking planet, and their justifications for it are absolutely fucking insane. Twenty seven hundred assassinations, by the way, wow. in Israel's history. Damn. Um, I think for my recomradation, I already hinted at it. Um, and because I've been moving, I haven't seen or done anything else except move boxes in the heat. Um, so I wouldn't recommend that, but I would recommend double doubling your living space. It's very nice. Um, so I'm going to recommend the 2017 uh, Sofia Coppola film, uh, The Beguiled. It is just like a very, um, it's so good. Like, it's just so incredible. Like lots of like powerhouse performances. It looks gorgeous. Um I'm a big fan of the poisoning men by mushrooms uh, genre of film. So um, if you're into that, check it out. And Phantom Thread. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that and Phantom Thread. The entire <laughs> genre. Uh, what a beautiful film, Phantom Thread. I uh, need to watch it again. I saw it at the Princess here in Edmonton. Yeah. Great theater. Did we watch it together? Uh, no. I, I Did we? Maybe we did. Anyway, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so I have two quick recommendations for you. One of them, uh, I've been playing a lot of Hitman 2 uh, in anticipation of Hitman 3 uh, coming out on the next generation of consoles. I love the Hitman games so much. They just allow you so much uh, player freedom to take out your targets however you want in increasingly funny ways. I think if I were to particularly recommend levels from the game, uh, the Mumbai level is like a masterpiece uh, where you can get another assassin 
to take out two of your targets, but you could also disguise yourself as him and then meet up with the people who hired you and take out them. It's just, it's crazy. It's infinitely playable. Um, and my second recommendation for the week is the 1973 film Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Mm. Um, so this is widely regarded as the worst uh, of the classic Planet of the Apes movies. Um, I really enjoyed it because uh, I love the franchise so much. Um, this is a direct sequel to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which is like all of the movies are very political, um, but Conquest might be the most political mm. because it's about like the ape slave class rising up against the humans. Uh, and one of my favorite movie speeches of all time is at the end when Caesar is like, there's a day when human weapons will scar the earth and your sins will come and get you and everything. And it's like this very prophetic thing. Um, battle is really solid. It's like a uh, human and ape are now living in peace, a relative peace that is still kind of informed by those like, societal relationships uh of like master and servant uh in the old world mm. um and there's a lot of time travel in the planet of the apes movies uh and there's like this mutant society that lives under like the old human city and like they yeah, hate they're... the apes uh i did i did have a beautiful vision where uh for our premium feed uh i just did a series where i watch all of the planet of the apes movies <laughs> with like a rotating panel of guests uh, takes from the Forbidden Zone. Coming soon, maybe. <laughs> Who wants to watch Beneath the Planet of the Apes again? I do. I'll, I'll do all right, beneath. all right. Let's wrap it up. Where can the the people find us? Uh, you can find us wherever you find your podcasts. That means uh, your podcatcher of choice. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Kino Lefter. And once you're done with that, you can hop in the Kino Lefter Discord. Da, 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 da. Um, the Discord is a great community of people who uh, love the show and have some really generative conversations. Every Saturday, there is a movie night, and there is now a Discord book club, which is actually going surprisingly well. Um, we're reading uh, The Wretched of the Earth, chapter by chapter, um, which is sort of why it's on my brain so much. Uh, and yeah, it's really good. It's a really good place to hang out, get some you know smart, smart bitch shit, and uh, watch smarch. movies. <laughs> get smart. Smart. If you could please uh, go over to iTunes.com, log onto that website, and give us a five-star review. really does help people find the show, and uh, we'd love to read them. Once you're done reviewing the show on iTunes, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash Kino Lefter. For $3 a month, you can get access to Primo Lefter, our bonus show that we do once a week. Uh, we have a magnificent episode that we're about to record uh, on the political legacy of Jackass um, that we're doing with a very special guest. Um, so if you want access to that, uh, our magnum opus, I'm sure, <laughs> come on over to the Patreon. All right, everybody. Thank you so much again for listening. And we will be back at you next week with another fucking movie because they're always coming out. Bye. Always. Bye. Bye. Kino Lefter is part of a loose affiliation of left-wing podcasts hosted by the bilingual journalism collective Ricochet. This network includes News You Can Use, Well Reds, Out of Left Field, Radio Free Winnipeg, 49th Parahel, and more. Support Canadian podcasting, support Canadian media, and support Ricochet at ricochet.media. Great podcast, check them out. <laughs> Thank you.
Just like iTunes user Tiger said, I have been left no choice but to subscribe to the Patreon. Five stars. Dreading the you day read I this one. Oh shit. <laughs> you can review the show just like iTunes user Hylam Q did. Defunding firefighters is an okay take. Five you stars. I read that one. I'd, fuck. <laughs> Let's just skip it. Let's just move on. Okay. Three, two. Oh my god, I hit, <laughs> I hit myself in the oh head. Oh my god. Okay. Three. Two. My hands are my hands are on my hips. I'm not gonna fuck sakes. 